Hey everyone, welcome to the Tulia Christian Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to give online, see upcoming events, or view our service times, please visit our website at tcf.church. Go with me back to Thursday evening. Jesus and the disciples are going to have their last meal together. It's the Jewish feast of Passover. And they gather in a borrowed upper room, and they have this meal together. And then at the conclusion, they have communion for the very first time. And they break bread, and they have wine, and they celebrate communion. And here's what happens. Jesus takes them from the Old Covenant, from the Old Testament, from the law to the New Testament, into the new covenant. And because of his death and burial and resurrection, we live in the new covenant. Now, in the old covenant, if you and I lived in that time, it was based on one simple thing, obedience. If you obeyed, if you kept the rules, you were blessed. If you disobeyed or you broke the rules, you were cursed. You can go to the book of Deuteronomy and read it. Sadly, I know lots of New Testament Christians who still live under that. If you've ever had a tragedy or something in your life and you've thought to yourself, I wonder what I did. I wonder why this happened to me. Well, then essentially you're living under that old covenant because the Bible says you and I live in a new covenant and it's a better covenant with better promises. The old is based on performance The new is based on faith. I'm going to show you three things this morning to help you simply understand that. Jesus brings them and us into the new covenant based on faith, based on righteousness. They get up from their meal. They go out into the olive grove, and Jesus prays. The disciples fall asleep. Pretty quickly, Judas comes with the soldiers Judas kisses Jesus to betray him, to identify him, and they carry him off to the Jewish high priests to put him on trial. It's a mock trial with no justice, but all night long, he's accused, he's mocked, he's made fun of. Now, no, all the while this is happening, he's God, and he could stop it anytime he wanted to, but he doesn't because he's doing it for us. About sunrise, they take him before Pilate. Pilate is the area governor. He's a Roman. You see, the Jews could not give the death penalty. Now, they could pass laws on each other, but they're under the control of Rome. And so they're not allowed to give the death penalty. Only the Romans can do that. So that's why they get Pilate involved. And the Jews want Jesus put to death. Pilate pretty quickly knows, I don't want to be a part of this. His wife had a dream. And in the dream, she told her husband, after the dream, you you don't want to do anything to this guy. So he sends Jesus to Herod. Herod is the next guy up. Herod decides he doesn't want anything to do with it. So he sends him back to Pilate. 
Well, it was tradition every year at Passover to release a criminal out of jail. Well, we know the story. The crowd wants Jesus crucified. Pilate gets up and he says, do you want me to release to you Jesus or do you want me to release to you Barabbas? And they cry, Barabbas. Well, he's a murderer. He's released and then Jesus is taken to be crucified. Now, let me explain something to you real quickly. You and I are Barabbas. Okay, let me say it again. You and I are Barabbas. I was released, you were released, and Jesus was crucified in our place. So he's taken out to be crucified, and he's nailed on the cross Friday at 9 o'clock in the morning. He's on the cross for three hours, and it's noon. And at noon, it says in the Scripture that everything goes black, dark. It's noon, and the sun is in the sky in one moment, and the next moment, it's dark. And it stays dark for the next three hours, even though it's noon, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, it's dark. At 3 o'clock, he dies on the cross. The Jewish leaders are going to celebrate Passover at sundown, and they don't want anybody on a cross when Passover starts. So they go to the Romans and they say, hey, go and make sure that everybody has died because you see the cross was torture and it took hours to die. Make sure that they've all died. And if they haven't, then you know what they would do is they would take a club and they would break their legs. The shin bone would be broken with a club. Here's why. Because when you're crucified, you suffocate and you slump down and can't breathe. And what they would do is they would push up with their legs, catch a breath, and then slump back down. And that went on for hours. It was literally torture. Well, if they wanted them to die, they broke their legs. Then, of course, they couldn't push up anymore because their legs were broken, and they would die quicker. But when they got to Jesus, he had already died, and they did not have to break his legs, which fulfilled a prophetic promise. When he died on the cross, the scripture says there was an earthquake and boulders were broken in half, boulders. And then it says that graves burst open and many people came out of their graves, literally raised from the dead, people that were buried, people that had passed away. And it says they went into town to testify about Jesus. Now, that's amazing to me. I don't know about you. He's taken off the cross. Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus, wraps him in linen cloth based on the Jewish tradition, and buried him in a tomb that was hewn out of a hillside. It was a rock tomb. They put his body in that tomb, and they rolled the stone over the face of it. He's there Friday night. He's there all day Saturday, Saturday night, until Sunday morning at dawn. An angel comes, lands, removes the stone, and Jesus is supernaturally raised from the dead. Now, Jesus could have moved that stone himself. He could have moved it with one finger. He could have blown it to bits. But an angel came and moved it. And here's why I believe it happened that way. Because, you see, Jesus is royalty. 
and a door is opened for a king. And so the angel opened the tomb for Jesus to come out. Jesus at that moment is king of kings and Lord of lords. He's glorified and he's resurrected and he has paid the price for your sin. He's paid the price for your shortcomings, your past, your present, your future. He's offering life and if you say yes to it, you have it for all of eternity. Now I want to read to you this morning out of the Old Testament, out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Before I do, let me tell you something about it. What I'm going to read to you was written 400 years before Jesus was born. It's a promise. It's a prophetic description of what Jesus went through. And it was written 400 years before Jesus was born. Listen, Christianity is the only religion that dares tell the future. No other religion dares tell the future. But the Bible is filled with prophetic promises that have all come to pass. You know what Jesus did for his three-year ministry? He predicted his death. He predicted his burial. And he predicted his resurrection. And he pulled it off. Listen, that's somebody I want to follow. Okay, do you know no one has defeated death but Jesus? No one. No other God, no other religion, no other leader, no other politician, no other hero, no one but Jesus. He predicted his death, his burial, and his resurrection. No other religion dares to do that. Now, in the time that I have, I want to do three simple things. I want to read to you what the description of his death is like in Isaiah a 300, 400-year-old prophecy. Then I'm going to go to the New Testament and show you what belongs to you because of what's happened this weekend. So listen to what Isaiah 53 verse 1 says. Who has believed our report? He's asking a question. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Now, this is a description of Jesus on the earth. Are you with me? Let me continue to read. He has no former comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Let me explain to you what that means. Jesus did not look like a movie star. He didn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He didn't look like Tom Cruise. He didn't look like anybody that you think is good looking, anybody that you admire. Jesus did not look like that. He was a normal man. He looked like a normal man. Just like all of us in this room are normal, he looked like a normal man. No one was drawn to him because of what he looked like on the outside. That's what it's saying. Let me continue to read. Listen to what it says. It says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem or respect him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, I'd like to make a point here. I know many of you in this room have experienced grief and have experienced sorrow, and I want you to understand, so has Jesus. And he understands what you're going through. Listen, nothing you're going through right now in your life are you facing alone. 
Jesus understands. See, there's nothing you can take to Jesus in prayer that he thinks, wow, I never heard of that before. Man, I never seen that before. No. The Bible says that he's been tempted in every way, just like we have been, yet without sin. So he understands. Amen? Let me keep reading. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We did not respect him. He's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. And the chastisement of my peace is upon him. And by his stripes, I'm healed. That is an Old Testament description of the price Jesus paid. Listen, he paid for my sin. He paid for my brokenness. And in its place, he gave me peace and he gave me healing. Amen? Now, I want to jump to the New Testament. And I'm going to show you some amazing verses about what's been done for you and what belongs to you. The first one is Romans 3.22. Romans 3.22. You're going to love this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Stop right there. Now listen, I want this to be simple, and I want you to understand it. I bet there's not a person in this room that does not want to be right with God. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be right with God. Think about how people do all kinds of things trying to be right with God, don't they? People do all kinds of things. I've done things. I'm going to show you very simply this morning, there's only one thing you have to do to be right with God. And it says all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, don't miss this. I did this when I was 12 years old in my mother's living room. And from that moment forward, I'm, I'll be 64 on my birthday. From my 12th year to my 64th year, every moment of those years, I've been right with God. Now, I didn't say I haven't sinned. I didn't say I haven't made mistakes, because I have. But the moment I accepted Jesus as my Savior, the moment you accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Scripture says you were made right with God. Amen? All right, look at it. I've been made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And look at this next sentence. And this is true for everyone who believes. How many of you in here believe? Okay, well, then it belongs to you. Amen? Amen. It belongs to all you girls and one gentleman. Amen. <clears throat> right here. It belongs to anybody. And that's what it says. No matter who we are. Let me show you the next verse. Romans 3.25. I love these verses. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life Shedding his blood. How many of you this morning believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood? Amen. All right. If you do, then according to this promise right here, you're right with God. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Listen to me. You've been forgiven of your past. You've been forgiven of your present. And you've been forgiven of your future. It was all put on Jesus Christ. And the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for your life, the Scripture says when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead, you believed that you were made right with God. Let me show you another verse. 
I want to go to Romans 4.25. Jesus was handed over to die because of our sin. You could put the word my in there. Jesus was handed over to die because of my sin. There's something I need you to understand. The Jews did not murder Jesus. The Romans did not execute Jesus. Jesus gave his life. He willingly sacrificed himself for us. Jesus himself said, no one takes my life from me. Listen, you can't kill God unless he lets you. You understand Jesus was God, right? All God and all man. You can't kill God unless he lets you. Okay, Jesus was not murdered. That's when somebody takes your life. No one took his life. He willingly laid it down for you and I. Listen to what it says. He was handed over to die because of our sin. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. This morning, 2,000 years ago at sunrise, Jesus raised from the dead, and he's been alive ever since, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And that scripture says right there, the moment he was raised from the dead, you were made right with God. Amen? Amen. You're right with God this morning, and you're in relationship with him. Let me show you one more verse. I'm gonna go to Romans 5, 9. Man, these are good verses. These are the New Living Translation. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus, how are you made right with God? By the blood. Yeah, right. Not by anything you've done. Not by you trying to be a good person. I'm not right with God this morning because I'm a preacher. I'm not right with God this morning because I'm a Texan. And I should be, amen, I'm not right with God because I'm an American. I'm not right with God because I'm, I'm white. I'm not right with God because I'm a father or I'm a husband or I'm a good person or I'm from a good family. I'm not right with God because I'm handsome. Who laughed first? Right in, right in this section. Was it surely they're pointing at you? That's sad. That, that, isn't that sad? Hey, next Sunday, there will be an extra seat where she sits. So if you want to bring somebody for her place, you can next. Surely I'm hurt. My gosh. Golly, man. My, My wife, I would ask her if I was handsome, but I know better than to do that. Amen. It says we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus that he willingly gave. And listen to what it says. He will certainly save you and I from God's condemnation or God's wrath. Listen, you do not have judgment in your future if you know Jesus is your savior. The Bible says Jesus is coming back not to condemn, but to save. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior and you know Christ, you this morning are right with God. And now you know what you do from this point? You're just walking out this life. You're just walking out this journey. But you're not doing it to try to be right with God. You're doing it because you are right with God. Remember what the definition of religion is? Do, do, do. The definition of Christianity is done, done, done. I'm right with God. I love God. I'm hungry for God. I want my life to please God because I'm right with God, not to try to be right with God. Don't you think that changes everything? Absolutely it does. It changes my whole motive every single day. You know, when I was a kid and I would be in trouble, of course, you don't want to be around your parents. 
you know, you kind of try to avoid them. I mean, you know, if you've ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time and been disciplined, I had that happen in my life when I was a kid. You know, you, you, you know you've done a hundred things wrong and they don't do anything to you. And then you're just at the wrong place at the wrong time and you get a whipping to make up for all the stuff that you, you know, that didn't happen, right? Okay, listen, if you think God is angry with you, do you know what you do? You stay away from him. You don't talk to him. You don't read his book. You don't go to church. You stay away from him. But when you know that you have right standing with him, when you know that you're right with him, when you know that you have a relationship with him, all it does is draw you to him. And you read your Bible differently. You talk to him differently when you pray. Church is, differently, is different when you come because you're not doing it to please God. You're doing it because he's already pleased with you. And you just want to hang out with him and be with him. Amen? Amen. Would you close your eyes this morning and let me conclude the service by praying for you? With your eyes closed, before I pray, I just want you to know we love you. And I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that we're thankful for you. I'm so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for all that God is doing in us and in our families and in our community. Father God, I want to pray for every family here this morning, every person. Father God, I'm so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus. I'm so thankful that we're right with you because of what Jesus has done. Because of his blood, because of his sacrifice, because of him being raised from the dead, we're right with you this morning. And I love you. Father, as we go from this place, that we go in your blessing, we go in your grace, and that your life is on us as we continue to celebrate our Easter weekend. Father, I'm thankful. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Would y'all stand? The Lord's good, Amen. I'm so glad you are in the house of God. I want you to have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll see you next week. Y'all be blessed as you go.